Welcome to Launched. I'm Charlie Chapman, and today I'm excited to bring you the creators behind the time-based invoicing app, Orbit, Malin Sundberg and Kai Dombrowski. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having us, Charlie. Hello. Hey. Wow, that was that sounded almost Australian, which made me think uh, of your your other podcast. Uh, <laughs> yeah, a lot of Australian influences in our life. <laughs> You've spent too much time in Vancouver, so naturally uh, the Australian accent uh, jumps out. Oh yeah, you guys yeah. lived in Australia. Yeah, yeah, for yeah. four years, five years. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so our accents are probably super super messed up. We we spent most of our life listening to U.S. podcasts and U.S. shows. <laughs> we lived five years in Australia. I lived in Sweden for how many years? Um, three years. I another think. three. Originally German, and now yeah. now Vancouver. It's it's all yeah. weird. But another thing that I have been thinking back of is like throughout my school years, I had different English teachers. So like one year I had a British one, another year I had an like American English teacher, and like both of them marked us differently. It's like one year you have to spell color oh. with a U, another year you shouldn't. <laughs> I almost made that as a joke. That was an actual thing that happened. Yeah. Actually, oh yeah. my goodness. Oh man. <laughs> yeah. That uh. That sounds a little confusing. It's, it's harsh. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, excuse us if our like accents are all over the place. And that's, um, I think we're, I think we're pretty good at like picking up the Canadian spelling and accent now after being here for three years, four years. It's mostly just American with A's, right? Isn't that uh, isn't that how it goes? <laughs> Sorry, Canadian friends. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say this is this is too controversial topic to get yeah, into. Yeah, we <laughs> we dove right into the most controversial thing that we could. Yeah, can we just talk about politics instead? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, I guess let's get started the same way that I normally attempt to, uh, which is to talk about. Uh, your guys' career sort of leading up to creating uh, Orbit, the, the app that we're mm-hmm. here ostensibly to talk about. So <laughs> we'll start with Kai. All right. I'll ask you the same three questions that I, uh, I ask everybody, which is, where are you from? Mm-hmm. Which I think we already sort of talked about. Uh, do you have a formal education related to what you do? And what was your career like leading up to Orbit? All right. All right. So I'm originally from Germany, born in Berlin. But as we went through, spent spent time in Sweden and Australia and now now being in Vancouver. Um, formal education is an interesting question. So the, the software engineering side is actually the first time that I have a formal education for what I do. So for all my other things I've done up until this point, I didn't. Um, but we knew that... Um, when we when we lived in in Sweden and later in Australia, we knew that we needed a degree to uh, to stay in the countries we want to be in. Right? I, I that's always my number one argument. If someone asks me, do I need a degree for for a kind of consumer focused tech job? It is no, unless you want to move to other countries. Because for immigration purposes, we wouldn't be in Canada right now had we not had our degrees in computer science. Um, so we, we we were on the verge of or on the fence of dropping out multiple times, but we knew for immigration purposes we should really make sure we finish this degree, and that brings me to career. Um, so uh, I I had a whole bunch of different things that I did in my career until I found tech, uh, and I was kind of lost. I was kind of all over the place uh, when I was younger, uh, like in high school. I was. A professional video editor for a German TV channel. Oh wow! Uh, and I, 
Yeah, and I did that for a few years, which was really cool as a high school gig, right? A lot of other people in, in my circle of friends were kind of doing normal high school jobs, and I was like a video editor. It was kind of cool. Then after that, when I moved to Sweden, I uh, started producing... Um, first, got into repairing iPhones for a fee, and then kind of because I started to establish connections with Chinese suppliers to get cheaper iPhone repair parts... I started producing LED lights in China because I, wait, 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 producing. So like what you're coming up with, with designs and meeting with suppliers yeah. and building yeah. and shipping LED lights. Yeah. 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 I think wow. to back it up a bit, like my, my dad has been in the, he's an electrician by um, originally and he's had a, his own like company and he was very into like getting the like warm lights and he like, this was in the beginning when LEDs started being sort of a thing and all LEDs had this like really cold blue light. Yeah. Uh, so my, early, early yeah. LED lights. So, so Kai like, and my dad, they used to have this discussion like, why are there no good LED lights? And so I was like, you yeah. know, you're, you're, tech, you're typical, I just entered this, this industry so I'm sure I know exactly what I'm doing and I'm the best at it. I was like, surely we can figure out how to get better LED lights. How hard can it be? And then we kind of went in, I went on that journey and we actually started producing really nice LED lights for both initially home use, but then I also get into industrial LED lights, like floodlights and for like warehouses. And then later, uh, some of the LED lights that I was involved with are in, in tunnels in Stockholm now. Oh my uh, goodness. So that's kind of uh, an interesting career path. Uh, again, very much not formal education. I was like, I don't know. Let's look at some diagrams <laughs> and then make some tweaks. And then I'm sure the factory will tell me if all of this uh, <laughs> will blow up. Uh, so I uh, kind of tweak things from there. Um, then I actually started starting business because it's like, I don't, I still don't know what I want to do. I guess I like, like making money seems like an essential thing in life, right? So <laughs> it's nice. And I like selling things. So business. <laughs> So I started doing that. Um, and then when we moved to Australia, because when we were in, in Sweden, it was really cold. Uh, <laughs> we thought, hey, why don't we try an English-speaking country that's also warm, uh, where we can, where we're allowed to work while we study. So we, we moved to Australia. And in Australia, Sweden has a very rigid system uh, with the university. You usually, you pick your major essentially in day one, mm. and then you kind of just follow that path until you have your degree. Uh, Australia has more of a North American system where you have electives and you can kind of try different courses and you can stay und undeclared essentially for a little bit if you want to. So I, I was convinced to try computer science. I was like, I don't know. It seems I, I was always good at math, but it's, I don't know. Coding seemed, seemed hard. Um, <laughs> I started the course and I was like, this is amazing. Uh, first time ever that I liked school. <laughs> uh, I used to try to always get by with the least amount of effort. That was like, I I'm looking forward to do homework. <laughs> I was like, I, I, I like the assignments. I really like the thing. Uh, get really good grades. It's like, well, this is way easier and way more fun. Let me switch. And I switched from business to computer science. Uh, and... Then kind of did a whole bunch of computer science-y things uh, as, as part of my degree already. Like uh, one of my professors recommended me before I even switched to computer science. Hey, you should talk to this local company. Uh, they're hiring. I was like, yeah, I, I started like two weeks ago. <laughs> I was like, no, no, talk to them. I was like, okay. So I went to the meeting and we were chatting for a while. And it's like, hey, do you want to start here as a software engineer? 
And I was like, oh, I don't know. I, sorry if I wasn't clear. I started a course in computer science two weeks ago. Before that, I did business. I know nothing. It's like, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, so we agree that I know nothing and you're still willing to pay me to, to do work I don't know. It's like, yeah, that, that's the deal. It's like, cool, let's do that. It's <laughs> a good gig and if you start, can get it. Yeah, it's like, I mean, would anyone say no to this? It does seem insane. Uh, on their side, for me, of course I do. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I, that's that's when I started getting as into like development as a job and then finished the degree on the side, essentially. Uh, and then kind of bounced around, did freelance work, did some employ, employment-like work. Uh, and then when we moved to Canada, we started our own business. Okay, so I guess we'll pause there because... Uh that obviously is going to need both of you. So yes, mm-hmm. let's back up then and sort of play back uh, probably a somewhat similar trajectory for Malin. <laughs> yeah. You got to jump in and figure out where do yeah. our yeah, you give path it a hug to line. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, oh, let me think about it. Um, I mean, answer your first question. I'm from Sweden. Uh, that, that one's easy. Um, and yeah, I've also been moving around a lot. So when I met Kai, um, I didn't really... No, I was just finishing finishing high school uh, when, when we met. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I had been wanting to study at university like after high school for a while, but early on I was pretty discouraged by that uh, because... Uh, a lot of like I'm pretty much the first person in my family who did end up going to university. Um, after I started studying, actually, like multiple people in my family have gone back and continuing studying, so that is awesome to see. Consider, yeah, yeah. Um, but I think in the beginning, because I didn't really have that in my like family, um, and I didn't really have any people who had gone through that process, it felt very foreign to me. Um, so I didn't really know what I wanted to do when I was like done with high school. And that was about the same time when I met Kai. And Kai was sort of like showing me different like <laughs> different things. It's like, oh, you can you can of course like also go in and study. And like he sort of encouraged me to do those things. Uh, so for my final year of high school, I ended up taking like a lot of extra curriculum to sort of get uh, get up my like get my GPA or GPA equivalent, um, like up higher, so that I was able to apply for universities. And I did a thing on t- it's sort of similar to the SITs uh, in the US. Um, oh, SATs. And just SATs, yes, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Um, and then I sort of like thought, okay, uh, I, I still don't really know what I want to do with a university degree or what I want to like pursue. And I sort of felt like, okay, I actually don't know if I can do this. So I wanted to just try. I thought, okay, I'm just going to like, Try to apply for university, see what I'm like interested in, see if I even can like make it in that sort of space, uh, and if I'm comfortable like writing essays and like studying on that level. Uh, so I started applying for sociology and psychology um, education, or uh, a sort of hybrid degree that was at this university in Sweden, um, and I. I got in, which was awesome, and I tried that out, and I figured, like, after a year, like, oh, I could actually, I can actually do this. Um, but it was still not really what I want to do. Sociology is very interesting to, like, just to learn about, like, social patterns and yeah. how people work. Um, but um, at that point, Kai and I, we both decided to move to Australia, and so this goes back to your, uh, your, th- your story, Kai. So he was studying um, business, I was studying sociology and um, psychology, and then Kai took this one unit in computer science. <laughs> and I didn't do that. I continued with what I was doing. But I had a look at his assignments uh, throughout that semester. And I was like, wow, 
this does seem interesting. I also did think I would be into computer, like computer science. And that's another thing throughout my sort of when I was growing up, I wasn't really exposed to computers. To like, I love hearing stories where people are like, oh, yeah, I've been programming since I was eight years old. And that's like, that's really cool. Um, but I was very much like a lot more on the creative side. I did a lot of arts and crafts as I was growing up. I did go to like um, one of my schools was specifically focusing on arts. So I got like three hours extra every every week of art classes. So I was really into that and like the creative feel, uh, field. Um, at the same time, I also, I also was very interested in like problem solving and those type of things. But I never really saw the connection to like software development there. But then when I saw Kai's assignments and saw what he was doing, I was like, wow, this is actually like a different type of creative process. And right. it's not exactly what you would expect. Like you think it's a lot of like applied math in computer science. And it's not like I didn't like math, but I just, it was very different from what I thought. And when I saw it, it's like, oh, it's all this like logical thinking, problem solving, and you can also have this creative aspect. So I was like, well, I, I also want to do that. So this semester, well, after Kai finished, I also ended up taking the same, uh, the, taking the same course. Uh, and then also changing from psychology to and computer science. Just interject there. I had the all time record for highest score in that unit. And Marlon beat me this one semester <laughs> after by one extra point. <laughs> that was so happy. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> no, that was... The, I didn't even aim for that. Uh, <laughs> yeah? Really? That's where you're going <laughs> over then? It just happened? <laughs> uh, uh, no, but uh, that was really fun. And since then, I sort of... Um, sort of felt a bit like, wow, I've been missing out on this like entire industry like of tech and I want to like get fully immersed in that. So I ended up changing um, to studying computer science, but I also did a lot of extracurriculum stuff related to computer science and related to programming. Um, so we did, uh, both Kai and I competed in a, a supercomputer competition for our university. So we went to Austin to compete. Um, and that's when I also started picking up uh, mobile development and doing iOS development. I started learning that on my own because our university didn't have any mobile courses or anything like that. But that's really what I felt like. I started looking like into that industry. And I think for actually a long time, I had listened to podcasts where those podcasters were like mobile developers. Right. And when I was more exposed to like what software development is, I was like, well, maybe I can also do mobile development. And then I've always been yeah. super Apple fans anyways. Yeah. So it kind of felt like a natural. Yeah, it's a yeah. pretty there's a there's a pretty nice little on ramp uh, for being into Apple. <laughs> Apple products, and then there's yeah. this whole chunk of Apple podcasts that are entertaining, <laughs> even if you're not technical. But a lot of them are hosted by yeah. Apple developers, yeah. and yeah. then yeah, it sort of just sucks you into that world, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, it was built and analyzed. Was was my my mm. kind of def because it was new for us to get into English podcasts, right? Because it's it's kind of hard when you don't speak yeah. the language. People yeah. speak very fast about very specific topics. It's, right. it's kind of hard. But mm -hmm. built and analyzed was one of the like that and hypercritical were kind of our our on ramps. Yeah, and for me, it was also um, uh, back to work. Um, Merlin Man's show. Oh yeah, like, yeah, yeah. We, we basically like learned English through those through those through those um, through those podcasts. Guests as we were listening. What was fun about Build and Analyze, when we started listening to it, we skipped the parts where Marco was talking about uh, programming. We were like, this is useless to us. Skip, skip, skip. And by the by the end of the podcast, we actually started enjoying those segments because we understood them and were involved in it. So it was actually kind of fun that initially we just skipped through them and then it's like, those are favorite parts. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I mean, you should really go back and like listen to those early episodes mm. that, we, that we skipped back then. Yay, object to see. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I guess, so 
Malin, you're on ramp then to mobile development, or well, I shouldn't say mobile development because this began as a Mac app, but Apple development in general, it started mm-hmm. with you doing it on your own because it's kind of a nice platform to do side project stuff because you don't need yeah, to have yeah. servers and all of this extra stuff. Yeah, yeah. And also, like, it felt like there was so much, like, material out there to learn. Like, it, it was a really nice sort of ecosystem to get onto. Um, so I did the... Um, Stanford has, like, the CS1... Yeah. CS, what is it? Uh, I don't know the name of it, but yeah. it's... Yeah. Mm. I'll link uh, it in the show really notes because there's a new version no, so of that, too, that yeah, I've seen yeah, people so talk about. Yeah, it's a really good course for uh, the, the learning iOS, teaching iOS development. And they always update it. I think this uh, last year they updated to Swift UI versus UIKit. Uh, so I definitely recommend that for people who want to learn. Um, but yeah, so then I started uh, learning and I sort of tweeted about what I was doing. Um, and I was just like um, continuing learning on my own. But then when the iPhone, what would that have been? Like the 6S, the first one that had the Plus phone came out. Was that the I six? think that was yeah, it was a six or six S. Yeah, so that was the first one where um, <laughs> that it was the first one that was the larger one. And I don't know if you remember back then where people were like talking about if it was the right choice or if it was too big and like what was the right phone to go with. And uh, I remember tweeting that day uh, like me holding getting the phone on day one, uh, taking a picture uh, and tweeting like hashtag. Mike was right, which is Mike Hurley, who had this argument why you should get a bigger phone. Unfortunately, I don't subscribe to that anymore. I would love to have a smaller phone. But back then, <laughs> I thought, I want to go with a big phone. So I tweeted that. And I also wore a During Fireball shirt, which is a very com- very known like Apple blog that many people know. And I tweeted that, didn't think much more about it. And then the day after, uh, this person contacted me who worked at like, a, so- a-, a local tech company. He's like, hey, uh, I saw you're doing iOS development. Uh, um, the CEO of the company is also really into during Fireball. Do you want to like come and meet up and have a coffee? I was like, yeah, sure. And I like looked into what they're doing, and it was this like local startup that they didn't have that big of a team, but uh, it seemed seemed like it was like a really cool group of people that were just uh, like working tightly together. Um, and then I had coffee with them, and they were like, hey, we really need like iOS developers and would love to work with you. I'm like, really? Like, I'm still studying at you. Like, I'm still doing my university degree. And they're like, yeah, yeah, no, uh, we would love to like have you join us. And then you will work with like, it was basically like me and the CEO at that point doing like iOS development. So I worked with him and then we end up adding more people to the team. But yeah, that was like my first job as an iOS developer. Man, I mean, Obviously, there's a bunch of work uh, involved in this, but it almost feels like iOS development just happened to you too. <laughs> yeah, I, I know, and I always struggle when people are like, "Oh, so give me some like, what are some advice of how to get your first iOS job?" I'm like, I don't know, like tweet. Yeah, buy a way too large phone and tweet about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I have the same. I mean, I'm sure it's probably everybody's story is unique uh, as part of why, <laughs> but mine's similar, where it's like. Uh, work at a company where somebody lets you join their team, even though you've never used Xcode before and learn from them for a year. It's like, yeah, I feel like I cheated my way into the industry. Yeah. Um, Mm. I think a benefit for me as well was that like we lived on the West coast of Australia and it wasn't that many iOS developers around. It was pretty like uh, tight knit community. And I think that really helped. I think if you would be in like, um, New York or the Bay Area, I think it can be harder to get into it as you're like... As a junior. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah that makes sense. Yeah, I actually started as a backend developer. That was, for me, the first job. 
um, and then I, I kind of tried to push the company gently towards, I didn't know iOS development at that point, but I was like, we should really do apps. That would be a nice, nice addition to our backend services. So that's how <laughs> Martin got the iOS job. It's like, I also want to do iOS. That's it. <laughs> uh, and then I kind of gently pushed them and we started picking up iOS clients. For you, it was also a bit like, I don't really want to, they, they give you a PC. <laughs> yeah, <that was> <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What are other reasons why I would, why we would like I didn't want to say that, but yes, that was part of the reason. If, if I have to do iOS development, they cannot not buy me a Mac. Oh man, yeah, I've uh, I may or may not have been in that position at one point in my life. Uh, okay, so so you're both working at companies at this point. Um, yeah. Though Kai, it sounds like you were doing some sort of consulting within that role, at least. Yep. Where, like, I want to think, but I might be wrong on this, that at some point you were doing consulting on your own before you started building uh orbit is that true yeah yeah so just after that job um we did end up moving to sydney so we were on the west coast of australia and we want to move to sydney uh, because we want to have a bit of a bigger city and we also want to be slightly closer to like north america to be able to go for conferences it's still like 24 hours to, <laughs> to get there but it was it was closer and we just felt like okay we tried like this small beachy city it was awesome when we were studying you could go to the beach like during the weekends and those things uh, but then we thought okay we want to have something that's a bit more metropolitan we also knew the considering our trajectory at mm -hmm. the time we thought the chances of us moving to north america at some point are pretty high uh, at the time we thought bay area seemed like the obvious direction yeah, to go to right um and we thought no one's ever heard of perth australia most people already don't know anything about australia but if you know something about australia it's definitely not going to be perth so we thought if we move to sydney that's at least a place even if you you know even if uh, most people don't know anything about australia most people have at least heard of sydney and if not they will pretend they know of sydney <laughs> <laughs> they know the opera house uh like yeah. uh outline right yeah is that what that is the sydney opera house or yeah, 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 yeah. okay i definitely knew that we'll cut out the part where i was not confident uh, <laughs> yeah so we thought if we do apply for jobs in north america being from a place that people have heard of would probably be better than being from a place that no one's ever heard of mm -hmm. so that was part of our decision going to a bigger city that people have heard of and then either we like it there or we have an easier kind of pathway towards our next part of the journey okay and so at that that's the point whenever you guys started doing consulting on your own not not yet oh, okay okay sorry <laughs> <laughs> it took us a while to to figure out what we actually wanted. yeah yeah so i ended up working at a pretty big uh, company so i went from like a startup to something that was a little bit more um just bigger where it was a bigger team so i worked at a company called abc which is like australian broadcasting corporation um, like pbs of yeah, australia like, yeah yeah um but it felt like they were very like modern in terms of like their mobile technology they wanted to like uh, write everything in swift um and they wanted to like rework a lot of their older apps and do like complete new code bases in swift so that was like really fun to be a part of that so i figured okay i go there i work in a bigger team and i worked there for uh, i think just over a year or so um, and at this point Kai had started a job 
Uh, do you want to take us from here, <laughs> Sure. Yep. There was another uh, weird getting a job story. <laughs> um, so I was at that point still doing consulting, but remotely for the company in Perth. So that was not your personal consulting or yeah. with uh, TripAdvice yeah. together right. with so me. Because Mon had that, that new opportunity. We we're like, all right, let's use that to move to Sydney. And I keep working remotely because, I mean, it's a tech job. We could kind of do it from, from anywhere anyways. Uh, so everyone was fine that I would keep working remotely. And at some point, a friend of mine... Uh, said hey you should really meet the those people from that company um they 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 might be good people to talk to about potential work it's like i kind of i i'm still finding my footing it's it's i was kind of happy and it was also the company was like an oil company i was like yeah that doesn't really seem like my jam but sure it's it's good friend i i should i should meet them uh so i i go to a coffee meeting uh with my finest jeans that only had one hole in them <laughs> and my 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 one interview shirt <laughs> that i still have i i have one shirt for interviews and we were chatting and went really well um and they they actually the, the, the way they warmed me up was like look we're an oil company we know but we don't think oil will be around for another like 30 years and we don't we want to prepare and go in a different direction before it hits us so we want to use our resources we have right now to go into different different industries and i was like hey that's actually kind of interesting right that's kind of what what norway did with their oil resources to build a very sustainable country they they want to do for their business i was like hey i, I kind of like that that approach and seemed pretty like self-aware right yeah. if you think of oil companies you usually think of like uh evil evil people that that think oil they will rather start extracting oil from humans than giving up on the oil uh <laughs> oh, that's dark by the way that's that's how i went into that meeting with that mindset so <laughs> but i realized wait i don't actually know what they wanted me to do at a company <laughs> we didn't really talk a lot about like iris development or like so uh like a day later they sent me a job offer it's like oh cool got a job offer <laughs> i didn't expect that i thought it would be more more to this um and i I looked through a job offer and the title was blank. I was like, ah, damn it. That was my chance to figure out what they would do. And then the, the, the salary was about five times what I expected. I was like, wait, that is weird. That's way more, way, way more money than, than I thought I would make here uh, doing Iris work. And the title is blank. But it's also really awkward to, to get a job offer for a very large <laughs> amount of money. And then go back and say, wait, what is the job I'm supposed to do? <laughs> I want to believe that you showed up and you spent five years there and to this day you still don't know what your title was. And that's that's what I'm just going to choose to believe here. Yeah, so I was actually, I wasn't sure. I was talking to Molly. I was like, should I, should I send an email? And it's like, so what are my responsibilities? I was like, or do I just jump in into this adventure and, and see where it takes me? I was like, all right, let's do that. So I showed up for the first day and things kind of worked out. Turns out Wait, they wanted me to... So you really did go on your first day not knowing what your job title was. Yeah. For all you yeah. knew, you were writing code for iOS <laughs> or mopping floors or the CTO. <laughs> I thought the the highest probability was that it was a was a tech job, probably an iOS. Considering the, the friend that that recommended me, he he works at a company that's very much focused on Apple stuff. Um, so uh, I thought the chances of it being Apple related were extremely high. Um, and I mean, I'm not coming from a wealthy family, so that was the most amount of money I've ever seen on on any kind of contract. Um, so and if it is mopping floors for that kind of money, I would totally do that for for a yeah. while. Right? 
uh, or anything else, uh, fracking or something. <laughs> You're like, yay, oil. Um, so, uh, and, and first day, it's like, here's a stand-up. And uh, the, the consulting company I was in was kind of small and scrappy. We didn't do stand-ups. We didn't do any of the agile things. It's like a stand-up. Like, sure, I know what a stand-up is. I was like, all right, we stand in a circle. That seems clear to me. Cool. And then everyone started saying what they were doing. I was like, okay, I, I did not do anything. It's my first day here. And and I realized everyone's going to... Everyone before me said what they were going to do for the rest of the day. I was like, oh, damn it, I still don't really know what I'm going to do. Uh, like, I was like, uh, it's like I'm just finding my footing and getting to know uh, all the all the people. I was like, all right, cool, made it through that. And then, uh, kind of, I fast forward through the boring parts of me trying to figure out what I'm doing. It turns out they wanted me to kind of to start their the kind of tech digital uh, side of the, of the business. Uh, so I was kind of uh, like I was starting to run their tech for for all their digital efforts okay um man i I think my heart rates elevate a little bit it's like (laughs) i need to know what they're expecting of you (laughs) there there were definitely a few stressful moments when i was like "Uh, people asking what i'm doing and i don't really know yet i should have just asked everyone was really nice but i i I kind of (laughs) was very self-conscious at that point um i learned from that and now i'm a lot more open to to not knowing my stuff uh but at that point uh i, I was i was kind of just going with it and uh figuring things out and that was really worked really well uh, i was the first person and we kind of grew the team to around 50 people and i was the, the oh wow tech leads uh, or whatever i still i never had a title <laughs> uh it was always just blank and i kind of liked that right it feels felt, felt special it's like look yeah we're, we're kind of because we're also we did t- try different things and my my role kind of shifted sometimes i actually did some iris development other times it was more of a managerial kind of role <laughs> so i kind of liked that it was kind of a fluid thing whatever was needed when we were kind of in a, in a crunch <laughs> period we wouldn't do one i wouldn't do one-on-ones with people right then i would help out with code uh, uh because we were, we were in crunch i, I would feel weird going with to coffee shops with people when when everyone's just trying to get their work done right so um i kind of like that and we did that uh, then because that went really well and was fun team and nice work marlon joined that mm-hmm. yeah once he actually figured out what he's doing i'm like well that's that fun i like how you both like pulled each other in different directions like yeah. kai you started uh software mm. engineering and so that pulled yeah. malin over and then malin started ios stuff and you're like whoa yeah. look at that and that pulled you over and then it's just like this <laughs> sort of uh beneficial very, and weave. It's like ooh, shiny let's yeah. do that now. <laughs> um that's actually how we um how we work together with our co-host on our show uh, zach he he also joined our company we met him at a startup and he was not doing tech but so he was really into not startup uh, into into that company yes he was he was not doing tech at the time but he was really into iris development he had his own apps it's like you shouldn't work in a retail store join us in the company we do fun stuff with, mm. with tech stuff uh so that's that's how how we work together there for a while and then after some time we decided all right still t- we, we we don't think we want to stay in australia uh let's let's move to canada and vancouver was always it was even when we started our planning on leaving sweden it was either vancouver or or perth at a time so we thought hey north america canada canada seemed like a safe and stable country the us was kind of going through a period there um and we met some people from here that did really cool things and they they seem to be very happy with the city and and what's going on here so i thought all right let's let's move to vancouver so we we 
resigned from our <laughs> very nice job in in uh, Sydney uh, with our blank job titles and moved here. And then we we had to go through some some back and forth, and that's when we finally started our own own business to <laughs> to do consulting and working on our own projects here. Okay, so at that stage, it's consulting in iOS slash backend work, kind of all rolled into one. Yeah, I, I would say probably mostly iOS, but okay. we, yeah. we we always we've done enough backend that we always felt comfortable if that was part of it. But it wasn't that uh, I, I'd say ninety percent of the work is probably iOS usually. Okay, so forty minutes in here uh, or whatever <laughs> it is, in the, once we edit this, uh, yeah, we almost made the introduction. <laughs> yeah, now, now we're through the introduction. How did you go from you're both in Vancouver uh, doing consulting? to releasing a app of your own on the Mac? <laughs> well, I mean, we started doing consultant work and then we needed to track our time that we worked as a consult as consultants. And it's an important thing whenever you charge uh, by the hour. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. We, we, we felt like we were pretty particular with like the requirement for us to track our time. I mean, of course, it should track the time accurately. Many apps have... Most apps have that, correct? Uh, it, it runs timers and tracking time. But we didn't have a great app that we could use for the Mac and iPhone and that worked in the way we wanted. And we also wanted some like additional things. I don't know. Like if you, I think often when you are, if you have a time tracker, it's, you might sometimes forget to turn it off. Like you just uh, like go out for lunch or you are done for the day and then you're like forgetting to stop the time. And then the next day you come back and it's like 12 hours later and it's like, then you have to like figure out like, oh wait, like when did I stop? And then you get a really big invoice and a big payday. That's <laughs> how that works, right? Kai and I are more, we, we were on the other side. We're like, okay, we should rather be like a bit more like uh, generous with our time and rather short too little than shorting too much. Uh, so then we often end up like taking off some uh, more time than we probably should have. We also wanted something where we thought we should really make this timestamp based uh, rather than a lot of the other ones. We And we tried dozens before. Mm -hmm. Inside, hey, how hard can it be? Um, the famous last words of how every new product starts. Um, and we thought we should just make it timestamp based. So you, every time you start, that's a timestamp. And then when you stop, it's a timestamp. And then you get a nice overview over your day rather yeah. than just having a number that counts up and it doesn't really know when. Yeah. And that also we, we thought would fix a lot of issues like daylight saving changes or or people uh, uh, moving across time zones because if we have time storms then you know we use all the date libraries so we, we should get all of that for free and then to figure out how long is this entire time entry we just add all the time intervals for all the all the mm -hmm. time stamps and the benefit we get of that is that now we can have like graph views to actually show like when you worked on which tasks and how you split your day up and when you were interrupted because it actually shows like a small break in between there so we thought, hey, let's let's build that. How long can it be? It's like a month or so, right? That's, that's how long <laughs> was making. the original idea. Let's build this for us to use, or was the original thought like, hey, we can make a product here? Like, uh, I think we we did definitely plan on releasing it uh, from when we got started. Um, um, but it was a lot like in terms of like the feature set, it was a lot about like what we wanted to have. We wanted to have the yeah. time intervals and we also wanted to have like that idle time tracking so that it detects when you leave your computer and also, come back. Also just when Swift UI came out. Yeah. Uh, so we also thought that was a great opportunity to get into macOS development because we've been iOS developers to that point and AppKit for some reason uh, always felt a bit 
daunting, right? It's like now you have to learn this entire new framework and it's kind of older and kind of weird in some edges. And when we played around with it a little bit, we're like, ah, I want, I want my UI table views. Uh, and so what, what we actually said was, how hard can it be to make a time tracking app in Swift UI? And we were like, months should be enough. <laughs> yeah, they always say uh, the first year that a framework comes out, everything's easy and dates are famously easy to work with. Uh, exactly. So good, good starting yeah. point there <laughs> for ease of yeah. ease of development. Yeah. So we, we learned that um, we saw the words no overview available a lot. I don't know if you've done a lot of Swift UI in the early days, but it was essentially that was Apple's documentation of of all the APIs was how about no documentation? Just look. <laughs> <laughs> look at the function signature and figure it out. <laughs> I think debugging was also one of the hardest parts. Yeah. Like you sort of knew that there was a bug somewhere within your app, and then it was up to you to discover where it was. Yeah. Uh, but they, they, the tooling has gone so much better. Yeah. But yeah, so initially we actually built that app to hit a third-party API uh, just to see, can we even make an, a macOS app with SwiftUI? You're focused on the front end first. Yeah. So we didn't want to go too crazy. So we thought, all right, let's just make a fairly simple wrapper around that third-party API that did some things better. Like of the dozens we tried, we liked their data model a lot. We didn't like the applications. So we thought maybe it's enough for us to just built like a really thin kind of neat uh, uh, macOS uh, front end to that API. And and worst case, we learn a little bit of SwiftUI. And best case, we get familiar with it and maybe then take it further. Why Mac first? Is that just because that's where you're working most of the time? That's where the work is happening. Yeah. <laughs> that's where real work happens. Man, we thought we were controversial before. <laughs> yeah, it was yeah. just that's that's where we work, right? As as iOS developers, no matter how much you love your iPads or your other devices, mm. chances are you're you're not having your professional iOS career in, in iPad playgrounds. Uh, so we just thought that that is the natural point for us to to use the app and therefore it's the natural place to to start with the development. I thought like it's the it's like <sighs> It seemed like the hardest one, yeah. and we thought that's probably the best place to stress test Swift UI and see if this framework really like will work for us. So if it works on macOS, it can work on like any other platform. That was mm -hmm. I know we, we like put ourselves like in like throw ourselves in the deep end with Swift UI, but I do think it was good because like we didn't know macOS development, and because of that, we didn't really bridge over to AppKit at all in the beginning. We tried to do everything in Swift UI, which was really hard uh, because everything wasn't possible in Swift UI. But at least it like allowed us to really explore the framework and really learn like learn the ins and outs of it rather than I think if we would have started on iOS we would maybe have been like, you know what, this is so much easier to do in UI kit, which yeah. you know how to use. So you bridge over more often than you want to. Um so we really like learned the framework uh, as a result of that, which I think was was a was a plus, but yeah it definitely was a bit more stressful than necessary. <laughs> That makes sense. It, I was wondering, like, that answered almost all my questions. It's like, why would you choose SwiftUI? Why Mac first? But it, it really is like a natural entry yeah. point for the problem you were specifically trying to solve combined yeah. with what you wanted to get out of it, which part yeah. of it was learning. Yeah, and also as because we still do consultant stuff, we didn't want to charge like a client for us to figure out whether SwiftUI is any good, right? So also yeah. considering that we do like new technology, that's kind of how we really took 
iOS development seriously in the early days when when Swift was announced, we watched a keynote in the middle of the night in Australia. We're like, this is our opportunity. Brand new language. This is our opportunity to to get into it because everyone's starting from from zero here. So we could be, you know, the people with the longest possible yeah. apart from Chris Lantner and some some of his closest friends, the longest Swift experience you can have if you start the, the day the tool chains come out, right? So that was our opportunity. And we thought maybe Swift UI could be our opportunity to to get into macOS development more seriously. So we kind of applied the same approach there. So even if it had if the project itself had failed totally, you'd come out of it with new knowledge and mm-hmm. important for your work, uh, sort of the ability to speak on authority on yeah. this technology, mm-hmm. either recommending for or against it uh, for people. <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense, actually. Yeah, so we built the Mac app. Uh, it took longer than a month. I mean, the first initial one that we just used the third-party API for was simpler. And that one, actually, I think we wrapped up within a month, actually, the initial UI for that. So we felt like we were able to like use Swift UI for like a, a real app at that point. Um, and then we started thinking about like how we could actually like the parts that we actually wanted that were missing from the third-party API, and what more we felt like an app could encompass. Um, so that's when we started thinking, okay, what do we want to like? We also wanted the invoicing, which we hadn't done before. We only focused on time tracking for the third-party SDK, uh, third-party API. Um, but that's when we really started thinking about like the different things we want and how we want the invoicing feature to be, and sort of what the product is and who it's for, and that it is for people who are tracking time by the like tracking their charging by their time and needing to like smoothies and invoices based on that time versus like converting it into an invoice manually afterwards. And we really want to focus on that process being like smooth. You could just say like, I worked on this project, input all the time entries I have there. Later on, we added like rounding. If people want to do that, we got some people requesting like specifically to be able to round up. Turns out lawyers really care about tracking their time accurately. Mm-hmm. So we have an unexpected customer base. Probably by now, the largest chunk of our users are lawyers. That is interesting, and that makes a lot of sense. Right? We didn't think of that. We were like yeah. developers and maybe designers. That was our target audience. But it's like, we, we just kept getting people. Initially, the early signs of lawyers somehow getting, getting uh, interested in our app was when people send us emails about how they appreciate our terms and conditions and privacy guidelines. It's like, I've never worked on an app where anyone would ever send me an email about that. That's like yeah, I, I didn't know if I would feel like happy about that or if that's like an insult to the it's rest of the app. It's almost scary because you're like, wait, people are reading those. Like, yeah, we should really but double check that again. <laughs> but it's also you, if you put so much hard work in the app, you kind of want compliments on the app, not yeah. on your stupid <laughs> privacy guy policy. But like, this is a bit weird. And then sometimes people have their footers, right? And it's like confidential, delete immediately, yeah. and, and destroy. And uh, and then it's like law firm so and so. We're like, oh, interesting. Okay, it makes sense. A lawyer would look through that, and that's that was our first kind of steps into our case. Seems like lawyer used this, and we figured it kind of makes sense, right? Because lawyers probably start a timer as soon as their phone rings, mm-hmm. uh, because they want to make sure they track for every second. That's and, the thing is. If you try and think about who in the sort of consulting time-based invoicing world mm-hmm. is going to care the most about accuracy and Mm -hmm. be willing to search for and pay whatever they need to to get the version of that that's the best yeah lawyers are probably right up there with the most like perfect uh venn diagram of those two Mm -hmm. things and so yeah that i would have never guessed that but that makes a lot of sense yeah 
uh, yeah, it kind of <laughs> was not at all our plan. Our app was very much not yeah. targeting any of that audience. But then, then they, that that audience, and they seem to also there seem to be lawyers talking to each other and recommending apps because we kind of had our natural kind of growth a lot in that in that group, and we noticed that more and more people had immediately destroyed this email footer. So uh, <laughs> it seemed to have been grown there. Uh, so we got a lot of requests for what's the next thing a lawyer wants to do? Round their time based on uh, you know fifteen minutes. <laughs> 30 minutes or one hour in uh, chunks but we thought it made more sense to do that on the invoice end rather than on the time end because you want to track your time accurately but right. then for the invoice you want to round it so we we started building that feature uh and uh that that got lawyers even happier so that, that <laughs> chunk of lawyers uh, uh grew more and more it's, hmm. it's so that's interesting okay so that was after you released but mm -hmm. it leading up to release it's it sounds like so you made that first version that was wrapping an api you decided you wanted to build that yourself so at this point you're doing you're building out a whole back-end service yep. and probably updating and continually tweaking the ui how are you guys divvying up the the workload as as you're building that first version mm. is there like a natural <laughs> line or is it kind of a, a trello board and you're both just pulling off the top <laughs> of the queue in general mon and i the way we work is often very competitive Competitively, whenever we can make something a competition, that that's when we work at our best. So we we sometimes did that in like Figma, right? Figma is kind of designed multiplayer, but a lot of people don't actually use it for multiplayer. It's just kind of nice to see things. We actually used it as a competitive. We had our own kind of lines, and we decided, all right, we want to design this particular part of the yeah, UI, yeah. and then I would have I don't know the top line, Monon would have the bottom line, and we would start designing, and we we, we had the worlds that we could steal from each other. But we always had to proceed. So I saw a good idea that Malin had, stole that, Malin stole some of mine, and we kind of tried to to come up with a good UI and build it that way. And that worked really well for us because it's kind of like a brainstorming plus plus exercise, right? That's because you think about clever ideas you want to have. You, you don't want to yeah. look like a dummy. You want to have something that's kind of unique and interesting. But you can still steal all the things you kind of missed as part of that. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of how, how we built a lot of the UI. It's like a non-toxic version of Steve Jobs with uh, <laughs> Tommy Fidel and uh, uh, what's his name? Yeah. The one who ended up winning out. But <laughs> with Forstall. Yeah, Forstall. Uh, mm. <laughs> that's really yeah. interesting. Except yeah. they were all all secretive and you guys were totally <laughs> yeah, we happy just, to let each other steal yeah, ideas on the same canvas, yeah. ultimately you both wanted the best uh, end result uh, yeah yeah and it was also we were super new to the mac right so you would think after using a mac for for like many 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 years at that point that you can just naturally build user interfaces for a mac but we really struggled we're like wait what you you see when it's wrong but you don't know what it is yeah. and like when you use an app it's like it feels very natural and then it's like you gonna try to add that like natural feeling You're like wait how do they do that and even things like the preference uh, yeah. window right we, the preference window mac os apps have crazy padding around their windows it's like why do we, why is there so much space everywhere and we're just trying to figure out what are the patterns try to read the human interface guidelines and it's like this is really hard making mac apps is way harder you you can see that it's not right but you don't know why yeah yes. and i also found that like the mac has it is a bit more like widespread in terms of like the the design directions. There are many apps that are a lot older that are still on the Mac. You mean uh, inconsistent? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. 
But then it's also hard to like, you also find some apps that are not natively written and they might work very differently. And then it's hard to find like that one, like a good app to use as a like example and like yeah. to, to base your designs on. There are also so many ways of, of navigating on a mm -hmm. Mac, right? Even if you, simple example, you have a, like a table and you want to show the detail. It's like you can click it. Usually that brings out a, a, a like a third pane or a second pane, depending on what you're in. You can usually double click it, which spawns it into a separate window. You can usually right click it and say open in a new window to bring it up in a new window. And sometimes you can also hit the return key to, to do some kind of action on it. And so every user expects one of those to work because that's how exactly. they do it. <laughs> uh, so it was also it's like, wait, now we have to build the same way of showing the detail four different <laughs> four different ways in this framework that in the early days did not handle windowing so well <laughs> was yeah. was quite was quite fun mm. interesting um, but yeah so how we split it like how we split the work to get back to your question i think sometimes we we actually like try to work on the same feature in parallel and try to f like basically try to get to the best approach there and to like the best result other times it's just like who is more interested in what because right. both of us i think kai kai you definitely have more experience at least then you had more experience doing back-end development than i had uh, so i think you naturally picked up some of the more back-end focused tasks than i did but i also like wanted to get more familiar with uh, vapor at the time which we ended up using for for the back-end which is server-side swift um so i did a few of the i did like quite a lot of those tasks as well but in general i think my focus was a lot on uh, like the dashboard which is having a lot of animations and graphs and those type of things a lot of custom swift ui components where you sort of where we basically made our own um our own view components that weren't like they're not there are no standard graphs on mac os so those things where it's like you really need to like figure out your own design to, yeah. uh, and the feel for it those are things that i usually tend to do <laughs> I gravitate towards the things that Marlin just found super boring. Like for some reason, I, I really like building like the invoice logic and all the, the weird edge cases you can have in invoice and how, how we generate them. Because when you we call it invoice logic, it does sound really fun. <laughs> and, uh... <laughs> and I don't know, I don't know what's wrong with me, but it's a perfect setup because all the things that Marlin's like, oh, now we have to build invoice. And it was like, I was looking forward to this. It's invoice uh, time. time. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> because there's so many fun things, right? You have to attach all the time entries to your, uh, to your line items when you create line items. But a line item has zero to many uh, uh, time entries attached to it, right? And then to potentially it has an override because it's rounded, uh, because you want to round it either by time entry or by by total line item. There's so many options. I was like, this is super fun because you can structure like a nice model that that perfectly describes a, a very uh, you know the, the the time you worked and the time you're you're charging for and i i was super excited about that i was like oh happy mm -hmm. you're excited about that and also things <laughs> like applying taxes like applying it to, like the specific way you should apply taxes a thing that we came across is compound taxes which is not very common uh, but it's something that's that's happening in parts of canada uh, where you have a specific tax that applied um that compounds that you apply afterwards um and also we actually noticed a lot of apps that do not apply compound taxes in the way you're supposed to. In general, we were shocked by how many even larger invoicing apps do some of their rounding wrong uh, oh, wow. where you look at... <laughs> 
you look at your subtotal plus taxes and the total is just off by a cent <laughs> like uh, we we thought we found that once we had that in the very early days once i was like all right we do we have to pull the app from the app store because we get we get the total off by one one cent uh, we were we were in panic mode and i i fixed the bug i, I felt terrible about it uh thought should we email all of our users or what do we do and i put it in like the three largest um the same numbers in, in the three largest uh, kind of invoicing apps that are out there two of them got it wrong <laughs> i was like okay cool uh, Man, looks like it's, yeah. it's not yeah, actually when you think about the impacts of what you're doing with it's i mean it's invoices it's yeah. num it's yeah. money yeah. <laughs> uh, so it is pretty important uh that yeah. you get it right yeah that'd be like a lot of pressure yeah mm. But yeah, Kai enjoys that type of pressure, <laughs> which, is, which is great. Um, so I think he often picks up those type of tasks that are related to, especially the invoice building. Okay, so you guys built this first version mm -hmm. and it came out in, that was 2019, was that right? No, 2020. So one week before WWDC, uh, actually. Oh, yes, I that's figured, right. That's right. Yeah. Okay, so this came out right before WWDC 2020. So we were in pandemic time. Yeah, that was our deadline because we want to, because we knew WWDC would be when all the new Swift UI features come yep. out and new potential design. We, at that point, we were still, you know, the Mac is very slow. There's no way there are any design changes. So it doesn't really matter. We knew we wanted our next platform to be iOS. So we, did, we wouldn't have wanted to start that right before and, WWDC. And, and we thought, um, for. As soon as we see all, because this is still kind of a project where we that where large chunk is learning, we knew when when SwiftUI the improvements of SwiftUI uh, for that year would come out, we would want to use those, right? So we wanted we set ourselves the internal deadline of ship it before, and then we can kind of see what happens. And worst case, we we make adjustments. Of course, that was one of the largest macOS redesigns and <laughs> we've had in, in many years with Big Sur, but. Uh, <laughs> Um, yeah, so I don't remember how long it took us to build the initial one. A couple of months. Yeah, I think that... So we built the app, the backend, as well as the product page. I think it took about three and a half months for both of us. Wow. Maybe. Something like that. I think so. So how did that launch How did that launch go? Was it accepted well? or? I So I was... Um, I'd say, like, the launch went well in terms of, like people being excited about it. The one thing I noticed was that many people were just so excited to check out a Swift UI app. Yeah. Uh, but many people or didn't... Or a new Mac app. Yeah, or a Mac app. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. But those people didn't necessarily need to invoice for their time. Um, so we noticed that many people wanted to explore the app, but there wasn't really something for them to do there. So we were lucky to be featured on, I think, the... On like a couple of days after launching, we were featured on the Mac App Store. So we got a lot of people just looking at it, people following us on Twitter who were interested and excited to see it. Um, but we felt like it was really lacking a way for people to be able to explore it. So we actually did. So what you needed at that point is you need an account and mm -hmm. you need a subscription to anything. And yeah. if <laughs> Which was just like a big sort of um, mm. hurdle to get over if you just want to check out the Swift UI app. Right. So we ended up adding a thing called tourist mode, which is a yeah. way for you to be able to like go in and check it out with Without having to subscribe and it basically shows because it's a time tracking app that is mostly like it shows a lot of graphs and data in it but on day one even if you do end up signing up as a user you don't like the app looks the worst on day one because there's no data there there are no graphs it's it just, just tells you you haven't worked yet yeah, it's like yeah. oh that's not fun <laughs> yeah so we thought okay we want this tourist mode that actually has like historical data for about a year back so you can really see the different benefits of like the dashboard and see uh like see what the data looks like when it's visualized but we also so. thought there are probably people that 
that this app isn't for. Mm. And we wanted them to figure it out before they uh, sign yeah, up and, yeah. And, yeah. and start a subscription, right? At the same time, we knew there would be a lot of people who would probably really like it. And so it was kind of, we thought it would be a win-win. The people who don't, they can self-select and say, this is not for me. And the people who do hopefully sign up and subscribe. Yeah. So we ended up putting that together pretty quickly. Yeah, we that were was a able long to... night. Yeah. It was a long night. <laughs> One night? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Because we were featured, oh, right? We're like, <laughs> we, don't, we don't know how long we're featured for. So, and wow. this is probably as many eyeballs as we'll... We, we didn't know at a time that we would be uh, fortunate enough to be featured many more times after that. Uh, but at that point, we're like, this is our one chance of yeah. being featured by Apple. So we, we as soon as we were fe- we saw that we were featured, we, we stayed up until we got tourist mode done. Holy cow. That's, uh, that's intense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yep. but it was very well I received. People really liked the tour. Submitted at five thirty a.m. I think. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that, that's interesting because we I've talked to lots of people that are kind of in a similar boat where it's like you have a following on Twitter, especially now because you are sort of, especially on the Mac, but just in Swift UI in general, you're sort <laughs> mm-hmm. of authorities on people who've really dove in and used this, and uh, the app is a good example app for people to to jump into and look at. But like. Mm. The overlap Thank between you. your following and people who actually need your product uh, mm-hmm. is probably not a whole lot. And so mm-hmm. how how did you or how have you, I guess, since then tried to reach your audience? I mean, obviously, I'm <laughs> sure the Mac App Store uh, feature helped some. Yeah, I I definitely think it helped in terms of uh, download. But yes, like, like you mentioned, like everyone doesn't need the app. Um, so that was, it was a pretty... I felt a bit like it was a rough start because uh, we we sort of you get all this attention and then it's like, but it doesn't like convert to actual subscribers because they don't need this app. Yeah, your conversion rate's probably like abysmal compared to most people because yes. yeah. not because the yeah. amount of people that normally would buy it that would normally have downloaded it is mm-hmm. bad, but because the amount of people who downloaded it is like ridiculously yeah. high mm-hmm. because of the Swift UI yeah. part. Yeah, and it was a super roller coaster. Like the launch was was a crazy roller coaster because when when we posted about it on Twitter, people were super positive. And one of my personal highlight was Cable Sasser from Panic. Oh, wow. he said, "Oh, this looks beautiful." And I was like, "If you make your first Mac app ever, yeah, and Cable of all people in the world is probably the one I would." If if I could pick one person to say this is this looks good in any way, I would probably have picked Cable, right? So this for us was like best day ever. Yeah. This is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then uh, downloads were really good, but subscriptions were like very very low. Uh, and then we we reached out to press, and nothing happened there. We're like, oh man, this didn't go so well. And then we were featured by Apple, and then Nine to Five Mac wrote about it, and then we were on Mac Rumors in one of their kind of roundups, and and uh, on App Follow. And some of the other ones are like, all right, now 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 we're back at the the, the peak again from of the roller coaster, and then we get reviews from people saying, oh, it's subscription price never one star. Mm-hmm. Like, oh no, <laughs> now it is. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. But what we did notice was that many people who needed this type of app, who ended up subscribing, they stayed subscribed. Uh, so we noticed that many people who were like actually trying it they were happy with the product and that was like a positive thing for us and we felt really like we felt like we were onto something there but we just felt like those negative reviews and people not really knowing that like what the app is for or who the app is for wasn't super clear so we decided to go back and sort of change our initial like launch screen as well as our um, Mm. like uh, our subscription screen just to make it a lot clearer of like this is the type of app uh, we actually said up front before you even sign up for an account 
your subscription. You will have a like we, we mentioned like try for free uh, and then prices starting at this price. So that was before people ended up even creating an account. And I think that helped us a lot because people didn't. So we did the opposite of the kind of growth hacking of like, just make a button that people just want to hit next on and they start yeah. a subscription and it just happens. We, we were we were doing the opposite. We're like, before you get started, just so you know, there will be a $7.99 per month subscription. Are you sure you have $7.99 to spend on this app? Yeah. And only then would we allow them to to sign up for an account. You're trying to fi- you're trying to filter people out. So yeah, yeah. The yeah. least amount of people have that negative experience of thinking they're exactly. getting one thing and then yeah. are surprised yeah. all of a sudden. Because they go through effort of like signing up for an account, giving away mm-hmm. an email address. I do see why it's a bit frustrating if you're like done that. It's not a lot of information you have to give up, but it is still like a process. And then when they get in and see that there's a paywall. People are going to be frustrated about that. So that's why we felt like, okay, we're just going to be very upfront about that. And that really helped us like have a lot more positive reviews and happy customers. It did mean that we didn't have as many. Like the conversion from like downloading to account creation was definitely a lot lower. But the people who did create an account, they were actually like more likely to get the subscription. Right. Uh, so I do think that was like overall like it probably doesn't like if we would like want to raise investment and show like how many user accounts we have that's of course not like a good metrics to go by but i think for us the metrics is more like okay how how many happy customers do we have that's what we care about that's really cool yeah yeah the the kind of theme of filtering out people kind of stayed persistent that's yeah. when we after kind of the initial launch and us then uh getting into uh some marketing attempts uh it, the same we followed the same kind of pattern first we we're like hey we should make super uh beautiful uh, creative so everyone wants to click on our ad and then downloads our app and we paid a crazy amount of money for for people that click the ad or tap the ad um and then wouldn't get the app because they're not because we realized like we pay per click and people don't know they have to pay for like for the app so we figured let's just do the same thing there we're just gonna like put it up front in the ad saying how much the prices start at we made the we made the ads a lot uglier so we it would essentially (laughs) filter out people (laughs) so we we rather wanted the ad to be the the least pleasant part of the experience because if people still hit them we only pay per click right Uh, so if they then still click it they're way more likely to convert because they already made it through the not so nice ad that mostly talks about how much money we're gonna charge (laughs) so we thought those people really Really need this app, right? That is interesting. Yeah, because because if it's paper impression, obviously mm-hmm. you want the opposite. Like your goal yeah. is you're trying to increase the amount of people that click on it. And exactly. from the ad platform's perspective, they are always trying to increase the amount of people that click on it. But mm-hmm. yeah, there's like an incentive for you if you pay for per click, which is how a lot of mm. those ad networks yep. work. To you want the probability of the person who clicks to be extremely high that they convert. And one way to do that, which everybody always talks about is trying to get the person to convert once they're in. But the other way to do that is only get the people to click, uh, who are more likely (laughs) to convert. And I, I, I'm sure any ad person is probably like, yeah, this is like one one but I've never (laughs) thought through that before. Interesting. And for us, it almost, almost quadrupled, uh, the conversion. So we paid way less money. Wow. (laughs) But those people, uh, then actually signed up because they they made it through the horrible part. And then the app, we think is pretty nice. (laughs) You know, okay. This is going to sound really bad as a comparison, but it makes me think of, uh, I don't know if this is actually true, but I've, I've always heard that one of the reasons that like scam phishing emails and stuff (laughs) are really bad looking and they sort of almost (laughs) intentionally, uh, 
clearly scams is because they're filtering out the people who will Mm -hmm. actually call and do the part that's hard work on their end to like feel the call or whatever to be the most like gullible or likely to to fall into the scam and so it's intentionally like this is a scam guys and then the only one who will actually call is somebody who they're most likely to convert yeah. into falling for the scam Thanks, or whatever. Charlie. Yeah. Yeah. we picked up the score <laughs> strategy yeah glad we can compare you too but i mean in theory just because those people do terrible things doesn't mean there isn't something to learn from them exactly. right? yes, if you then yes, apply to <laughs> positive things uh i mean you know you can learn 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 good lessons from terrible people <laughs> exactly uh <laughs> so now that i've you know dragged your branding through the mud of uh, being associated with a, a scam um the the next sort of step i guess for you was bringing this then to ios right so at mm-hmm. this point mm-hmm. orbit is a, a family of well i guess it's really two apps but i don't know it's apple's really nice to us because if you make an ios app it's it's now it's a family of apps because you support <laughs> the ipad and ios and now the mac even maybe for free ish mm-hmm. uh, at least in your marketing <laughs> you can put it put it inside of a, a mock-up of a mac uh so yep. what was the process obviously you guys already had a lot more ios experience at that point but what was the process mm-hmm. like to, to bring it over to ios now that you had already had a mac app how nice of a process to go back to the platform after fighting through the platform you don't know and every button you have to be like what what size does a does if there are two buttons in a sheet together what size should the buttons be <laughs> right you have no idea it was so nice at least we had no idea <laughs> so we, we looked at all the all the essentially panic apps and see what they did and tried to copy it as well as we could um so going back to ios was like we're just flying through those tasks. It's like yeah. easy. We just go through one task after another. We know what toolbars, toolbar items look like on, on iOS. We know what tap bars look we like. Know how navigation flows work. There's not all of a sudden going to be one more window. I mean, no iPad to some extent, but not at all in the same way as Mac. It's so much more rigid. Uh, so it's like a lot more of a constrained yeah. app to build, which was actually like something I appreciated so much more after being like making a Mac app. Yeah. Like, so we were just flying through tasks. Um, and because Swift UI, we could actually reuse some of the views, not one-to-one because they were terribly optimized. But for example, the our favorite example is the login flow. We didn't really know because we went through so many iterations on a Mac. And we thought this is another chance of making this a little bit nicer on, on iOS. We had no idea what we want to do. So we thought, let's just drop in the macOS login flow. And it looked terrible and things were clipping off the screen. But it lets us focus on the other things. So it works, yeah. right? The logic was the same. The, the UI was the same. So we could proceed logging in mm-hmm. and then start working on all the other parts. Yeah, and we could also make sure that like... Okay, if we just run this on iOS, all of our data logic, all of our... Flow, like everything works. Now we just have to make it look like it should be on this platform right. it's just views and navigation yeah yeah, yeah exactly yeah um, so we we just heavily borrowed from the macros app during development to just get mm-hmm. us through those kind of boring steps to focus on the ones we wanted and we just flew through optimizing the ui swift ui at that point uh we also got to use the kind of next iteration of swift ui right that was after wwdc um, so we could use some of the new improvements. Uh, so it was just a really nice experience to, after all the pains of, of uh, the macros experience, to to move to iOS. And I think we got that app done in what was it, three weeks? It was a month. Yeah, yeah, wow. and that includes 
widgets as well, yeah. which we added as a stretch goal. Ah, yeah. Unfortunately, Very we nice. didn't make it for the 24-hour turnaround that Apple gave us. We, we oh. released a week after yeah. iOS 14. <laughs> yeah, those were rough days. Uh, <laughs> 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 um, so once that came out, what was the, not just the reception for that app, but did that, did that end up being bigger, the same as the Mac or as like sort of a companion to the Mac or how, how did that end up sort of falling out as far as which one's used more? Most people found us through iOS from mm -hmm. then, that point onwards, but used the app mostly on the Mac. That's interesting. That is true to this point. Most people, because it's easy, right? If if you <laughs> if you meet your friends at your lawyer conference, you're more likely to show them show them your app on on a phone, right? Mm -hmm. And then they're like, "Hey, cool! I should download this," and they download it. But then lawyers also work a lot from their computers, and then at some point they they gravitate towards using using our Mac app. So the iOS app is actually one of our our favorite marketing tools because that's how people get into it. And then, and I guess how many not to beat a dead horse uh, on podcasts but mm -hmm. how many people are opening the mac app store to uh, <laughs> browse and see what's out there it's yeah it doesn't have the same it's not the same funnel mm. uh even for mac only apps i think than what the ios store is one thing that we did notice, uh, which we were quite pleasantly like surprised by, with the macOS store, which has changed since then. But when we launched, if you featured on the macOS store um, in like, in, if you featured in the new and noteworthy section, you actually featured worldwide. Um, so that's oh, how their feature system works. Region. Yeah, yeah. Well, as on iOS, it is, and I think since then they have changed that system, so it is a lot more region based. Uh, but that helped us. Mean that meant that like. The Mac app actually like reached a lot more people, so a lot more people saw it, and we get higher impression rates there. But and on the Mac App Store, you stay new and noteworthy for a very long time. <laughs> you know how I th said we had this twenty-four hours of like nonstop building the tourist mode because who knows how long we stay featured. We were in that list for for weeks. <laughs> I think yeah, like three weeks or so. Yeah, because yeah. Uh, there are not that many Mac apps that yeah. are that are new. <laughs> And yeah. apparently some of them are then also not noteworthy. <laughs> so we, we <laughs> stayed in that list way longer than we expected, which is really good because on the Mac apps, uh, on the iOS app store, there's a lot more of a rotation. Unless you make some mm -hmm. of the kind of what's great in iOS 15 or WatchOS 8 and those kind of ones, they stay around for a long time. But all the other ones are usually like a day and then, then it's over. Right. Well, on the Mac app store, we actually had a very long tail of people uh, finding our app uh, mm -hmm. there as well. Yeah, so I think unfortunately in two like the year we launched the iOS app, we didn't since we launched a week after iOS fourteen, I think we didn't get into one of those lists. So that definitely impacted the download numbers there. Um this year we did get into the list and like you can definitely like you can see that it does a lot because you stay there all the time. Yeah, it's one of those it's one of those weird things that I'll I'll hear advice about uh, advice about a lot, which is like don't kill yourself to uh, to get in on day one because mm -hmm. it's really stressful and it doesn't really matter. And it's like, I always want to be like, yes, to a degree, like it's not worth releasing a bad product or something. No, um, no. And I think the important note is you don't have control over what they're going to pick. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And like, that's what I was you can say. make the greatest thing in the world and then it just happens to not fit on their list for mm -hmm. reasons that are totally out of your control. Yeah. Because they, of course, want to tell a story about exactly. it and they want to highlight specific things. Like, I think there's not a list for quick notes, for example, which is a really useful feature for a lot of people. Um, but then, like, something like shortcuts as a list and there might not be as, like, all apps don't fit into shortcuts. So right. I think you also have to think about, like, don't just try to tick those, check those 
boxes just for the sake you have to really like make an app that like look at like what makes sense for your particular product and then make it like make a good feature as well yeah i think it, i guess it's like my pushback is always like if it's reasonable for you to do there mm-hmm. is a potential strong upside because yeah. at yeah. least at yeah. the smaller scale you know especially where i'm at uh it's like i don't have other marketing channels that I'm investing in or anything like that. And so it definitely mm. does make a noticeable difference if I can get on one of those lists that's in like rotation heavily. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And especially if you're new to it, right? If you're trying to break into mm-hmm. like right. the category, turns out business apps, uh, there are a lot of business apps. Yeah. And it's a competitive field to try and market against too. Uh, I hear. <laughs> yeah. We learned that in some of our ad spend when, when we looked at like the recommended bits, we're like, yeah, we're not making that back in years. How how do people spend that much money? Um, so I, I think that's another thing. You can get on those lists without any money. So if mm-hmm. you come up with no money, you make a nice app. And that's for, for us, it was also a benefit. A lot of the other competitive business apps, they did not have the same priorities that we have of adopting new cool right. ma- Apple platform features. Yeah. So you also, yeah. I mean, it depends on the market you're in, but you might actually have a very strong advantage over some of those where, where money doesn't yeah. play as bigger role yeah and for us we're not like we're not on that level where we have plans for q3 next year and we won't be able to fit apple's next framework or apple's new features like we we, we know that wwdc is coming around there will be new things and whatever and we it's released them, that we're excited right? about we want to build yeah exactly so. part of it is it's fun yeah. yeah, it's like that's that's why we started this project in the first place because Apple released this weird framework that came from WatchOS originally and brought it to the Mac. And we're like, that seems silly. Let's try it out. <laughs> <laughs> that's the subtitle for this episode. That seems silly. Let's try it out. Uh, <laughs> all right. Well, uh, there's obviously more stories uh, packed in here, and I would recommend anybody check out uh, your podcast, Cup of Tech. Oh, thank you. Um, one, it's just fun. And, uh, you know, I may have been a guest on it before. So, you know, that yeah. also adds to it. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but uh, obviously, you guys are sharing stories of what you're working on and, and, and things there. So that's worth checking out. But before I let you go, I want to ask both of you the question that I ask everybody, which is, uh, and we'll start with Malin on this one. Uh, what's a person or people out there that inspire you in your work that you'd recommend other people check out? Yeah, kind of. We actually talked about this before, before starting to record. And I think for me, like with this question, I'm sort of going back to like that initial point where I'm like, was thinking of iOS development as, as a job, right? Like that people can actually do. And I remember back then we talked a bit already about build and analyze. And I think seeing Marco, uh, Mark Arbent, uh, who had a podcast, being able to like create his own apps from scratch and on his own and really like make that as his, like, as his as his job like i thought that was really cool and i think like to go back like further back that's like he was probably a person who i thought was really like cool back then and, i mean he's still a really cool person <laughs> <laughs> but I think, like, <laughs> now he's too mainstream you know back then he no, was he cool was an apple watch yeah <laughs> um, no still a really cool person uh, who who just uh, was definitely someone who inspired me to be like oh that's a thing I can do. That's awesome. I want to do that. Um, then I also have a few like apps that I think I'm inspired by that I always go to like to look at. Like, man, this is just a really neat app, and that's Things Three uh, because they mm, have apps on yeah. all the different platforms. It's this perfect like if I want to find like ideas of how to design something and it doesn't make sense when I'm trying to put it together, I'm like going back to Things Three and like, oh, okay, yeah, that, that I see how they did that, and they have such much, so much simplicity 
in their apps that's like very elegant it's that's really hard to do like oh, it's yeah. hard to make a clean interface and i think they really nailed that actually yeah. clean without boring that's that's <laughs> something we run in the early days we're like this is really clean but it's so boring and if you look at things it yeah. is really clean but somewhat still delightful yes, yes. right and yeah. that, that is such a such a unique skill to have to to hit that balance so nicely yeah Another app is uh, Procreate, very different type of mm. app, but I just think they're doing really cool things uh, for creators. Um, Shout out to Australia. Yeah. <laughs> Are they Australian-based? I didn't know yeah. that. Yeah. In this really small town uh, called Tasmania. Hobart in Tasmania. So it's like this island outside of uh, oh, wow. the mainland of Australia. Man, yeah, uh, they're, I mean, they just keep coming out with new things. Like, they just mm. added... 3D. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I know. It's like, so cool. I, I almost called it I EV editing. I don't remember what you call yeah. it, but yeah, that, it's like, yeah. wow, where did that come from? Mm-hmm. Yeah, very impressive company. Yeah, super cool team, super nice people. And, and you think they're way more people than they are. It's actually quite mm-hmm. stunning how much they get done. Uh, and then last person who is not in like the development space, but I think Kara Swisher is oh, a really yeah. cool person in general. She is interviewing so many cool people and she's not... Like she's never really worried about like pushing people too much, but she's she's very like she's doing it in a nice way. She's very much like comfortable asking hard questions to everyone she's interviewing, and she's just so uh, she's a really like bad cool person. Yes, so. that is a great way to describe her. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, just cool. And I like obviously I'm not doing anything in anywhere remotely the same category, but now whenever I listen to stuff like that, I'm just like, man, like they make it so effortless looking yeah uh and yeah i struggle so much to make even a podcast with people i'm super comfortable with uh sound smooth and clean (laughs) and uh yeah very impressive yeah um i think that's the main people i want to highlight how about you okay and you can't say ditto you have to (laughs) (laughs) i think for me it, it really shifts a lot over time i would totally say like early like when when i got into this industry like build and analyze and marco and and syracuse and and that entire gang was like hey i I would like to get to a point like that and i i was always really into podcasts that was actually the reason i got my original ipod i didn't want to listen to music it was just they're the best podcast integration so wow (laughs) it was like wait you can put music on this thing why would you do that (laughs) and it was cool right it would remember where you are in a podcast my other mp3 players were like new song it's like oh no it's not a new song i was somewhere in the middle of this five-hour german podcast because german podcasts are excessively long um so my chapters uh, are important (laughs) yeah (laughs) exactly um so uh, in in that period, I was definitely I was like hey, I would just like to be part of this industry and 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 be be not just work in this industry but being part of it, and that was really inspiring. Then um, as as I got more involved and we actually started being part of the like local community and doing things, panic I mean panic came up multiple times and came up in multiple of your previous shows with other people it seems to be a common theme because they they're working on cool cool software doing cool projects and doing. A lot of like more recently things that are outside of the immediate bubble of, of comfort, right? Where, where now they're getting into game publishing and now they're building games hardware. <laughs> hardware. And it's kind of crazy, right? It's it's like this this attitude of like we have no idea how to do this and let's go do it and, and figure it out. And I, I just I I I always want to do that for ourselves as well. And I, I think that's really inspiring that it's that they found something that works, but they still wanted to do new things that that 
they didn't know yet. And that also brings me to like companies like um, uh, General Magic. I don't know if you've mm. heard of General Magic. Yeah, it was like yeah. the early days of... Yeah, no, I, that's a good one, Kai. I, I, I unfortunately... I'm very unsatisfied with their sort of yeah. ending story. And that's another part to this. I, I often find inspiration in, and especially in companies where I think all the people would be exactly the people I would want to work with on a project that I think if I would be in that group of people, I would want to do, but they failed. Mm-hmm. Because I think that is something where, where, you, where you get a good combination of, they had a lot of the right ingredients, but something didn't quite work out for them to then not now be why is general magic not a big company right now is because of some of the mistakes they made on the way and i think that is to me always very inspiring it sounds a bit negative but inspiring to see like so many good ingredients but Mm -hmm. somehow not working out and there's a lot to learn from that yeah i'd say like kind of we have like we have had a period where we're just watching a lot of documentaries about those older tech companies and just trying to figure out like okay where like how did they have that culture that just seems so like so great to work in and how did they like how were they so productive and everyone was happy even if they worked like long days like, without being toxic <laughs> there's yeah, a lot of well, like, yeah. Yeah. toxicity in our industry in certain parts right but there are companies where people just passionately worked on something they they like with people that they like to be around and i think th- that is very inspiring but uh, still a lot to learn from from their their shortfalls or some of the bad decisions especially now as we're getting to a point where we're probably gonna build more of a team and 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 have some more people to 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 work with us uh those kind of things come up a lot more it's like I, how can we build a culture and 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 how do we avoid stupid things <laughs> or how do you deal with the stupid things that you will inevitably do right yeah because that's the but thing is like you can't no. avoid stupid things mm-hmm. yeah. yeah but how do we keep them to a minimum yeah. <laughs> how is how do we get to a point where if if we have employees and they go out in the world how that they talk about the great things rather than t- complaining mm. about the, the, the annoying things, <laughs> yeah. right? You want those things to come up internally and get rid of them. Mm-hmm. So so it never gets there while still being successful and building products that are fun and hopefully somewhat uh, unique, but still not going bankrupt on their way. So that's... <laughs> it's a delicate that, balance. That <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. So that's that's kind of my my weird mix. <laughs> Those are excellent. Uh, thank you both of you so much for coming on. Uh, yeah, thank you so much, Alex. It's you know some of these are like super stressful to go into because it's a person I've never talked to and I've looked up to for a long time. Yeah, <laughs> you never looked up to us. That was easy. <laughs> <laughs> I realized as I was saying it, I'm like, oh, I need to like divert the way I'm phrasing this because this is coming out wrong. The- <laughs> I'm just talking to the people who copy, copy the scammers marketing. <laughs> <laughs> methodology this is gonna be the first episode i put out and your sales are gonna drop afterwards yeah. um <laughs> no i i just really like i just really like hanging out with you guys and uh yeah likewise. and it's it's just nice to feel like uh this community is a, a real community of people yeah. that i can actually interact with not just in uh 240 characters or 280 yeah. characters whatever it is now <laughs> um and so i i appreciate you coming on this was a lot of fun and i wish we could just yeah, thanks for having yeah. us hang out the rest of the day um <laughs> hopefully in the future i mean we, we've listened to your shows for longer than we've known you so that's also kind of fun to uh, yeah, it's awesome to to be on the show now yeah it's it's really fun yeah, yeah that's it's always weird right whenever uh you've both listened to each other a bunch mm-hmm. and so yeah. 
you're it almost feels like you've been friends but the the conversation <laughs> has always been one way from either side yeah. um yeah and I'm sorry for going off, off on tangents. Uh, that's the reason why well, Germans need chapter show markers. Before, right? <laughs> <laughs> the show could be re renamed Tangents. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think that's true. That's why you need like the five-hour German podcast. Yeah. With the yeah. yeah, the German podcasting scene is fascinating. A lot of tech podcasts in Germany, is, Germany are legitimately five-hour long podcasts where people, it's, it's a very, like the US scene is a lot more, I mean, even there, right? ATP is pretty free flowing overall, but they they have an agenda. German German podcasts are often like, all right, so what are we talking about? Yeah, I, I start looking into buying a house, and then I <laughs> figured out those things, and then they start talking about mortgages, and then they did bring it back into the website where they had to apply and talked about the tech stack they use, and it's like it's all over the place, and therefore it takes six hours, but it's kind of fun. Yeah. Anyways, I, I did it again. Look at it. <laughs> I can't help myself. Uh, all right. Uh, I'll try and wrap this up. So uh, we'll, we'll say Malin for this. Uh, where can people go to find both of you and uh, Orbit? All right. Uh, yeah, so Orbit, you can find uh, either on Twitter. It's at uh, Time in Orbit. Or you can go to the App Store, look for Orbit Time Tracking and Invoicing. Uh, we also have a website called timeinorbit.com. Um, you can find me on Twitter as well, which is Malin Sundberg. So just my first name followed by my last name. And Kai is similarly simple. It's just Kai Dombrowski on Twitter. No, nope, it's Air Kai. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> you used Kai Dombrowski at some point? Uh, I, had, I had that at some point and I, I switched. I, I was really into basketball at the time. So it's like Air Kai, I could jump. So people called me Air Kai in my local basketball community. I was like, that should be my Twitter handle. Uh, I gave up my, my real name. And now I can't go back because it's some weird German dude who just squats that name. Don't follow, don't follow Kaido Roski. Just go to Erkai. Yeah. Don't follow this guy. I've tried to, I tried to not get anyone to follow him. So Twitter purges that account at some point <laughs> so I can claim it. So please don't follow that account. Follow Erkai. <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, I'm going to let you guys go. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming on. This was really fun. Yeah. yeah thanks, thank Charlie. you so much. Thanks for having us. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to discuss the show, you can find me on Twitter at underscore Chucky C or tweet the show directly at launched FM. I'd really appreciate a rating or review in Apple podcasts, overcast breaker, or whatever your podcast of choice happens to be. And you can find show notes and more at launched FM.com. Hey,